It is just past 10.30, and I will do my best to finish at 11 o'clock, but I might have a little bit more to say than 27 minutes, so bear with me. I won't go too much past 11 o'clock, but I believe that today's message is an important one. And I'm speaking today from Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews is my very favorite book in the Bible. It's a book that's written with a special message, and for us as Seventh-day Adventists, it has a very unique message for us in our role in which we are to live at this time in Earth's history. And Hebrews chapter 6 is a cornerstone chapter for many reasons. And it's one of my favorite chapters within the book of Hebrews. And I hope that you will understand a little bit more completely why by the end of this message. Hebrews chapter 6. And it starts off in verse 1. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. So what is Paul talking about here? He's talking about let us go on unto perfection, but what does that mean? He's just finished saying something at the end of Hebrews chapter 5, which sets the table for Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews chapter 5, he ends the chapter by rebuking the Jews of that time, the Christian Jews, and then you can read this in verses 11 through 14. He says, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to to discern both good and evil. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying if you stick with the milk of the word of God, you will not come to an understanding, a complete understanding of righteousness, of being able to discern between good and evil. And because of that, in chapter 6, he starts off by saying, let's leave the principles, the milk behind, and let's go on to an understanding of perfection. And that's what chapter 6 is all about. He says, I've given you a rebuke. Now it's time for you to listen to me, and I'm going to give you some strong meat to help you understand how to live a life of perfection. And much is made of this word perfection. How, what does it mean to live a perfect life in Christ? Well, let's let the Bible speak for itself. The Bible will tell us how we can go on to this experience of perfection. Hebrews chapter 6 could neatly be summarized by two key words. Faith and patience. And what we want to do today, we want to look at these two qualities, faith and patience, based on Hebrews chapter 6. And we want to look at some examples of people who lived lives of faith and patience. And then we want to see for ourselves, how does that apply to me as I live my life today? And so, in Hebrews chapter 6, 
Moving on down, starting in verse 10. It says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. In verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Now notice, he says, that ye be not slothful. It's, we're living in a time that it's not a good time to be slothful. It's not a good time to be lazy in our Christian experience. God wants us to show diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. If you think about the things that are important to you in your life, the things that are most important to you can be determined by how much effort you put into that. For those of us who have gone to medical school, some of us have graduated, we've put some effort into that. For those of you who are married, I'm not, but for those of you who are, to have a good, successful marriage, a good, successful relationship, you put some effort into that. It's important to you. And likewise, for us as Christians, if our eternal salvation, the promises of God that have been given to us, if that's important to us, we want to give diligence to that, just as the Bible says. And we want to be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise of eternal life. Now, I want to spend some time on two people that Hebrews chapter 6 talks about. These are them, if you will. The followers of them, these two people are the two people that Paul describes for us here in Hebrews chapter 6. And who are they? Abraham and Jesus. Now why would Paul use these two men, Abraham and Jesus, as examples to us for for people who exhibited faith and patience? Who was Abraham? Abraham is the father of the faithful. Abraham is the father of the faithful. So he lived a certain type of life that we can follow if we want to understand faith. And then he mentions Jesus in this chapter. Why does he mention Jesus? Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. So we have these two men here in Hebrews chapter 6. We have Abraham, the father of the faithful, and we have Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we can learn much from both of these men. 
and the stories that are shown here in the Bible for how we can have the same experience of faith and patience. So let's look at our first example. And the thing that I want you to be thinking about as we go through this message, be thinking, how does this apply to faith and patience and in the overall picture of going on unto perfection? Faith and patience fitting into this picture. So let's look at Abraham. Abraham is the first one mentioned. Here in verse 13 it says, For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise This is talking about Abraham in verse 15. It says, after, well, when did he receive the promise? When did Abraham receive the promise that God had given him? After he patiently endured. Now, Paul just mentions this in passing, after he had patiently endured. But there's an important Bible story for us to look at here to understand how Abraham patiently endured. This is our first example. We're following someone who through faith and patience inherited the promises. So we want to look at the story to see what kind of patience Abraham had and what quality of faith he had. And because of this quality of patience and faith that he had, he obtained this promise that God had for him. Well, let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. This gives us a more complete picture. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Based on Hebrews chapter 11, when did Abraham receive the promise? It was when he was ready to offer up his son Isaac on the altar. And we want to spend a little bit more time with this story. Because this story will help us to understand how we can live by faith and how we can patiently endure when God allows us to pass through certain trials in our lives. And so let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. We're going to take a look at this story, and we're going to unpack it a little bit more completely. Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 5. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, 
whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place of which God had told him. Then, on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and come again unto ye. What is so amazing about this story? What is it, when you look at this account of what God asked Abraham to do and how Abraham followed, what is it that's so unique and special about this story? Well, first of all, Isaac had been promised to Abraham as the promised heir. God had promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations and that his progeny would be as the sand, like the sands of the sea. But in order for that promise to, to be actualized, Isaac had to live, and Isaac had to have a family of his own. And at this point, Isaac was not married. So for God to ask Abraham to offer up his son Isaac was really an unbelievable request. When God asked Abraham, Abraham had to have really wondered, is God really asking me to do this? How is it possible that the child that God has given me, he is now asking me to offer up as a sacrifice? How is that possible? Now, I want you to think about this. It took Abraham three days to go from his home to Mount Moriah to where the sacrifice would take place. Now, how do you think those three days were for Abraham? Do you think he was enjoying the time with Isaac and having jovial conversation with his servants? And I don't think so. I think Abraham's faith was being extremely tried during those three days. Because the God that he loved and the God that he knew had asked him to do something that was totally out of character from the God that he had always known. And now he was walking step by step closer and closer to the mountain where he knew that he was going to have to offer up his son Isaac on the mountain. I believe that Abraham had his patience severely tested, not only his faith, but his patience. And Hebrews chapter 6 says, after he had patiently endured. I can assure you, if I had a son and it took me three days to walk to a place where God had asked me to sacrifice him, that would be a severe test of my patience and faith. And for Abraham, the father of the faithful, we can expect no less. But look at the quality of his faith. He says, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Now, 
if Genesis chapter 22 was all you had to go by, you might think that Abraham had some kind of faith that would believe that God would bring some other sacrifice in the place of Isaac so that he wouldn't really have to offer up Isaac. But that's not what Hebrews is telling us. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac up again from the dead after he had sacrificed him. And that's the type of faith that Abraham is demonstrating here in Genesis chapter 22. He believes that God has asked him to do something extraordinary, but that God will reward his faithfulness by raising back up again the seed of promise. And let's move on ahead to verses 9 through 12. And this gives us sort of the end of the story. It says, They came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. He really was going to do it. He wasn't bringing his hand back and saying, Okay, God, when are you going to tell me to stop? No, he was ready to, to pull the trigger, if you will. And then verse 11, the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God. Seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham had reached a point in his life that he loved God so much and that he had so much faith in him that he was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac because that's what God had asked him to do. And as a practical lesson for us, we can learn something from this as well. What if Abraham had not been willing to offer up his son Isaac. And he reminded God of the promises from the past. But Lord, you promised me that Isaac is the promised son of my inheritance. So what you're saying now just totally doesn't make sense. I know you're asking me to do it, but I love Isaac too much, and I know that it would be so crushing to his mother, Sarah. I just can't do this. If Isaac, or if Abraham had done that, he would have been placing Isaac between him and God. Therefore, Isaac would have become an idol to him. And so, as we think about our own lives, God has given us things that are good, that are blessings, that he is happy for us to have. But just like Abraham, he's asking us to not withhold our dearest earthly possession for him. It doesn't matter what it is. Some of these things are good. If you're married, having a, a God-given spouse, that's, that's important. That's good. But God doesn't want you to place your spouse between him and God, between you and God. 
For those of you who have an education, a profession, that's good. But God doesn't want you to place that between you and Him. He's asking you to sacrifice those things in your life upon the altar, just as Abraham was willing to sacrifice his dearest earthly possession. And notice what God says, Now I know that you fear me. And that's an important message for us today. The first angel's message, fear God. Don't withhold your dearest earthly possession. Give to God everything. Be willing to sacrifice anything in your life. And so, Abraham has a ram provided for him, but that's not the end of the story. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Why? Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Now notice something here. This takes us back to Hebrews chapter 6. Paul in Hebrews chapter 6 is quoting Genesis 22. Abraham ultimately received the promise, the oath, the covenant from God when he was ready to offer up his son Isaac. The promise had been made to him before, but it was finally in his hand, if you will, when God tested him and he was ready to offer up his son Isaac. And this is a very significant point. Abraham had been given this promise many years before. But God was required, if you will, to test his faith, to test his faithfulness, to see how faithful are you really, Abraham? When I came and visited you and promised you, you and and Sarah will bear a son, you were both very happy, but that was at a time in your life when things seemed great. But then after that, you doubted my word, you went to Hagar, you had Ishmael, and I really need to see now if what you say translates into what you do. Because past evidence would suggest that you've dropped the ball. When things are going great, oh yes, Lord, I believe. Praise the Lord for his faithfulness. But when things get tough, how is it possible for me to have a son? Sarah and I can't do that. Then Abraham created his own way, his own method, and he doubted the word of God. So now God is saying, I need to test you one final time to see if you really are as faithful as I would have you to be. And Abraham passed the test. He became the father of the faithful. He became 
a father to us. And this is very significant. God made an oath to Abraham. And let's go back to Hebrews chapter 6. And you can see verses 13 through 15 parallel what we've already looked at. Starting in verse 16, it says, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife, wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Think about this. God made an oath to Abraham based on the fact that when God makes an oath, it's impossible for him to lie. This is a guarantee. Not only that, when God makes an oath, do you understand what an oath is? Back in the time of Abraham, when men made oaths between each other. They made an oath assuming that if one of them broke that covenant, the other man, the one who broke it would die. And God, he can't swear by anyone else. He swears by himself and says, I guarantee that because of you, Abraham, because you are the father of the faithful, anyone who chooses to follow you through faith and patience will receive the same promise because I can't lie. This is a guarantee. That is an amazing promise to us. But how did God guarantee this oath? Notice it says that by two immutable things. What is immutable? What's unchanging? Well, we know that God's law is unchanging. God's law cannot be changed. So in order for this oath, this covenant, to take effect, God had to send his son Jesus to die. And Hebrews 9 shows that to us. Hebrews 9, verse 16 and 17. It says, For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So God made this promise to Abraham based on the premise that it's impossible for God to lie. And then he sends his son Jesus to fulfill this oath, this covenant that he made with Abraham and with each one of us. Now, Jesus is brought out at the end of Hebrews chapter 6. Because remember, we are following Abraham and Jesus. And we've seen some aspects from Abraham's life. But notice verse 20. It says, or let's start in verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made an high priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
we're supposed to follow something. And Paul clearly says here, here is a forerunner that you're supposed to follow after. Jesus has gone before. He's the forerunner. And if you want to really understand how to live a life of faith and patience, here's Jesus. I've made this oath, I've made this covenant to Abraham, the father of the faithful. But to really make this oath immutable, I'm going to send Jesus in the same flesh as you and I to live a life that will show us how to live like him. And I want us to look at a few verses from Hebrews before Hebrews chapter 6 just to show us what kind of a life Jesus lived. And we'll go through these briefly. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through what? Suffering. For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one. Jesus came down as a man to die for us. But in order for us to be able to pass through that same walk, He suffered for us. He went through suffering for each one of us so that he can sanctify us as well. He wants us to have the same experience that Abraham had and that he had. And then we can look further on down. Verses 14 through 18. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself with the same seed that Abraham generated in fallen nature. And yes, that is true. But the seed of Abraham is mentioned because Abraham is the father of the faithful with whom God made a promise that each one of us who would follow him could be partakers of. And then verses 17 and 18, Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people, for in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are tempted. And I know all of us here are tempted. Jesus was tempted too. And Jesus suffered when he was tempted. It wasn't just as if when he was tempted, he's like, ah, I hate that. He suffered. It wasn't easy for him. But he went through that for you and for me. So that we can partake of what he has for us. Hebrews chapter 4, just a couple of more verses on Christ. Verses 15 and 16. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the filling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace, that we may, we have may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus was touched with the feelings, the sufferings that we are touched with. And he says, come boldly to me, I can help you. Don't try to do it yourself. Don't be like Abraham before he finally succeeded. Don't try to figure out, well, if I can just have Hagar, then somehow God can fulfill the promise. If I just give in this one time, God will understand because, humanly speaking, there's no way around this. No, God is saying, if you come to me, I understand those feelings of weakness, of suffering. I was tempted just like that. And I can help you to live the way I lived and the way Abraham lived when he finally succeeded in following by faith. That's a beautiful message for us as we think about what Jesus is doing for us right now in the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary. We can come boldly with confidence, knowing and claiming by faith that Jesus will help us. And one last verse in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Speaking of Jesus, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus learning obedience? But he did. That's what the Bible says. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. How was Jesus made perfect? Jesus was made perfect through the things which he suffered. And I can assure you, if you look back to Abraham, he was suffering those three days that he went from his home to Mount Moriah. That was a time of suffering for him, but he was obeying God. And Jesus learned obedience through suffering as well. And I promised those of you in my Sabbath school class that I would talk a little bit more about Gethsemane since we didn't get to it. But when did Jesus really learn obedience through suffering? You could talk about his temptations in the wilderness, and yes, that's, that's good. But most especially, the two places that Jesus learned obedience through suffering was Gethsemane and Calvary. But more especially Gethsemane. Because in Gethsemane, his human flesh did not want to go through Calvary. He, he could sense what was coming. His father was asking him to go through an experience that none of us will ever have to pass through completely. And his human nature did not want to go through that. But he submitted his will to the Father. Father, not my will, but thine be done. And it took three times before the battle was finally determined in the mind of Christ. And that is where we see most completely 
where Christ suffered, it wasn't the physical pain so much as it was the mental anguish. That's where we see that Christ was tempted, suffered being tempted. And that's where we see his patience really being confirmed, really being actualized. And then on Calvary, this is where we see the faith of Jesus really being brought forth. We've looked at Abraham. We've seen the patience and the faith that he demonstrated. We've looked at Christ. We've looked at the patience he's demonstrated. Now let's look at the faith he demonstrated on Calvary. When Jesus was hanging there on the cross for each one of us, he made the decision that he would die eternally so that any one of you could be there with his Father and the angels throughout the rest of eternity. He would rather sacrifice his life and his time throughout eternity without us there than to be there or than to not be there um, without us. I don't think that made sense, but anyway. Um, let, me, let me back up. He was willing to sacrifice eternity being with the Father without us there in order so that we could be there without him. That's what I meant to say. Uh, and that's our Savior. And whenever Jesus comes to us and says, Come abide with me. Come accept the life that I have for you. How can we turn back? How can we say, just wait till I finish medical school? Just wait till I finish residency? Just wait till I get married, till I have my family set up? Then I'll give my heart to you. How can we say that? Jesus was willing to give up all. But another aspect of what he was experiencing on Calvary. Humanly speaking, he could not see past the tomb. In addition, he felt separated from his father. And the only thing he had at that point was his faith to remember the way his father had been with him in the past. Because right now, he felt separated from the father. Right now, he can't see past the tomb. He can't see the resurrection. He can't see living with us throughout eternity. It's only by faith. And that's the same with Abraham. It was only by faith that he could say, the lad and I will return down from the mountain. He couldn't, humanly speaking, see past the sacrifice. There was no way. There had never been a resurrection of any human being when Isaac was about to be sacrificed by Abraham. That had never happened. But Abraham had such a quality of faith that he believed that God, who had given Isaac out of an impossibility, could also raise Isaac up from an impossibility. And so we see Abraham, 
the patience that he demonstrated, the faith that he demonstrated. We see Jesus, the patience that he demonstrated through his suffering, the faith that he demonstrated on the cross. And now we see us, the heirs of the promise. What does it mean for us today in 2005? When God made this promise to Abraham, he made it with a guarantee that it will happen if we by faith grasp hold of the same promises that he gave. Why? Because it's based on the fact of the word of God that when God speaks, it is impossible for him to lie. It's a guarantee. And so if you are doubting that God can save you, God could save Abraham despite the fact that he lied to the king of Egypt, the fact that he committed adultery with Hagar, he still saved him and it enabled him to become the father of the faithful. And we look down to the end of time. These qualities of faith, and patience. Remember, Hebrews chapter 6 says, that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Paul is saying, I want to see a people who have faith and patience just like Abraham and just like Jesus. And the revelator John saw that time. He saw the time. In Revelation 14, 12, we all know it. Here is the patience Of the saints, here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. There it is, patience and faith mixed with obedience. Now, when I look at my life and see all the mistakes I've made in my life, and as you think in your experience, and we look around and we say, have you ever seen a perfect person? Have you ever seen the people in Revelation 14, 12? Where are they? Are they... We're waiting for them. Where are they? Well, you know something? I may have never seen a perfect person. But I ask God to give me the same type of faith that Abraham had. Because if God says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There will be a group of people who have the same faith, the same quality of faith as Jesus. They will have patience. They will be followers followers of them, Jesus, Abraham, who through faith and patience inherit the promises. We cannot walk by sight. If you look around you, you're going to see everyone around you messing up and making mistakes. But that doesn't change the infallibility of the word of God. God's word does not lie. And he will have a group of people who have faith and patience at the end of time. And that's the type of experience I want to have. If you think about the experience of Abraham, he's the father of the faithful. And we can see why, because he finally reached the point that he was willing to not withhold his dearest earthly possession. And by faith, he believed that even if he gave it up, God had something better for him regardless. We need to reach that point in our lives. God may 
take us through some very difficult, challenging periods in our life? And how will we respond to that? Will we look to Jesus? Remember, Jesus, he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He starts our faith, and he will take us all the way to the end. And in between that time, just like Abraham, he may have to take us through some trials to test our faith to say, do you really believe? Do you really have faith? And during those times, instead of looking at the human impossibility of the situation, at looking at how everyone else does it, even though it's not according to the Bible, we look to Jesus and allow him to help us walk step by step by step. And he will help us because he has suffered being tempted so he can help us to overcome. So as we look to the time in which we are living in, I believe that God has given us a window of opportunity to live a life of faith and patience so that Jesus can quietly point to his believers and say, here they are. These people, they've been through a lot, but they've reached the point where they have such a quality of faith that they truly fear me they are willing to sacrifice their dearest earthly possessions because they want to follow my word. Now remember, God has not asked us to give up anything that's good for us. He's waiting for a group of people who will so decidedly cast their choice on the side of God that their lives will be like Abraham, Elijah, Jacob, but more importantly, like Jesus. So I pray, as we think about living a life of faith and patience in the year 2005, think about how Abraham lived. We can think about all the mistakes that we've made in the past, But just like Abraham, if we cling with hope to the promises of God, he can make us victorious, just as he did Abraham. We don't have to be stuck with a past memory of our sins. We can have a new life, a new experience of victory, just as Abraham finally reached. And Jesus is the one who will make that possible in our lives. I'm thankful for Jesus. I'm thankful for his life. I'm thankful for his love. I'm thankful that he makes it possible for each one of us to be with him forever. Let's show him how much we love him by giving everything in our lives to him. Let's close with prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the examples you've given to us in Scripture. We pray that each one of us here would not be slothful, that we would not be lazy in our Christian experience, but that we would earnestly, patiently endure, that we would be followers of Jesus, followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. 
Lord, you've given us the promise of eternal life. You've also given us the promise of a new heart, the new covenant that you made with Abraham. Please help us. Help us to keep our eyes on you. It's so easy to compare ourselves to everyone else, but the only thing we should compare ourselves is to you. The only person we should look at is you. The only way we can live is through you. Please help us, Lord. We know that you've promised that you will do anything according to your will. And Lord, we know it's your will to have a group of people that live by faith and patience. So we claim this promise and we ask that we would be faithful. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.